Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Coming to you on this Monday, May 1st, Bob. We've already entered the month of May. And we have plenty to get into here with the Suns losing game one to the Denver Nuggets, the Arizona Cardinals draft, the NFL draft as a whole. And we have time for your calls today as well, 1030 and 1115. If you'd like to join the program, 602-260-1060 is the number. But as we typically do, let's set the scene with today's poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Do the Suns win game two at Denver tonight? Yes, now leading the way at 64% of the vote, no trailing at 36%. So a sudden shift in uh, thought process here from the masses. Yeah, optimistic uh, listeners here and uh, voters. So uh, see how this goes. Obviously, couldn't have gone any worse, I don't think, in any area uh, for the Suns on, uh, on Saturday night in game one. And needless to say, it's currently constructed if the Suns starters get outplayed. And they were outplayed in every area on Saturday night. Uh, they've got no chance uh, to probably win any game in this series, let alone a game tonight. We'll get into much more of that Suns Game 1 contest here shortly. Of Tossing it on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Did you approve of the Cardinals 2023 draft approach? Yes, out in front, 84.6% of the vote. No trailing at 15.4%. Yeah, draft approach is a key phrase here. Obviously, uh, they made lots of trades, and uh, we advocated that for weeks, months, seemingly years. Uh, but they now have 11 picks in the 2024 draft, including six over the first three rounds. So Monty Ossenfort, uh, they're certainly starting from the from the bottom up here, which is what they we declared as soon as there was uh, you know changes from Kime and then Kingsbury, etc. At the end of last year, that's what they should do, and clearly that's what they have done to this point. If you look at the uh, free agency moves and you know what, who left, and they didn't really bring anybody in. Uh, and but that's what they should be doing. They should do this roster is a. I think you uh, the, if you watched any NFL Network and or ESPN, both networks multiple times, uh, either said it just straight out said it or inferred it that the Cardinals right now have the worst roster of any team in the NFL. I like that phrase. We declared it that like you have to start over from scratch here and certainly setting yourself up for this season and next season is really important that it's going to be a long haul. So expectations have to be tempered. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think uh, I think they are. I mean, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, I know that uh, they, they ran, uh, unfortunately, for the Cardinals a couple of times when uh, ESPN specifically, we're talking about how awful the Cardinals roster was. That you went uh, immediately to 
depending on whether you're getting cable or whatever, went to a commercial right after that. Cardinals season tickets right now. <laughs> so, so you know, be sure to come come aboard. And uh, uh, so anyway, it's uh, you know the bird, the, 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 what do they call that? The bird, whatever the hell they call that the thing. Bird's the bird's nest. The, there you go. Um, yeah, so you can be part of the bird's nest. Or so. the bird gang or whatever. Bird gang or what? Yeah, whatever they call it. Okay. It's, uh, it's going to, unfortunately, be uh, the birds are not going to be flying high. That's about all I know. Well, I do know in season. the new uniforms, they embroidered in the back of their jerseys, protect the nest. So oh, there, there's that. You know, I know that they had the new uniforms that were you know, available. I looked at it for like 10 seconds and I just thought to myself, I don't care if you know, what they wear. They just need better players wearing whatever they're wearing. We'll get into more about the Cardinals draft. We'll answer today's poll questions around 1130 or so today. As I mentioned, uh, 602-260-1060 is the number for you to get involved. We'll take your calls 1030 and 1115. But let's start today's conversation with the Phoenix Suns. Saturday night, losing to the Nuggets 125 to 107. By the numbers, Kevin Durant, 29 points, 12 of 19, 14 rebounds. Devin Booker, 27 points 10 of 19 eight assists jamal murray for the nuggets 34 points Jokic 24 points 19 rebounds he did have 14 in the first half aaron gordon piled in 23 points when it comes to some of this disparity here you had the suns with eight offensive rebounds 30 defensive boards nuggets 16 offensive rebounds 33 defensive rebounds so uh that's a differential there between uh 49 and 38 then you also had just shot attempts. The Suns were 43 of 84, 7 of 23 from behind the arc. The Nuggets were 48 of 101 and 16 of 37 from behind the arc. Okay, I'll throw in some other bad numbers here. Uh, the starters, the Sun starters, and they have to be exceptional in this series for the Suns to have a chance to win any game, let alone the series. The starters were outscored 102-83. They were minus 11 in rebounding, as you mentioned. They were also minus 7 in turnovers. And because of that, they had 17 fewer field goal attempts. Uh, It was just an atrocious performance all the way around. I know Durant had a bunch of points. He had 7 turnovers and 1 assist in the game. I also thought he took some interesting shots. I know he shot a high percentage, but they and he, I think, uh, settled for you know, shots early in the shot clock. You know, the uh, bench was absolutely pathetic. Josh Akogi actually started, which I just can't understand in any idea and setting. And, you know, they put him on Murray to begin the game, and that was a tro- that was just a disaster. Uh, you know, Kogi had two points, two rebounds, was minus 11 in 19 minutes of play, and he offers nothing. As we mentioned last week, yeah, last couple of weeks. I mean, you know, he's great if they're playing against San Antonio or Houston or some bad NBA team. He cannot be playing meaningful minutes in the postseason, and they basically need to play the starters for 40 plus minutes every game. And if they you know have fatigue at the end of the series, so be it. But the only chance they have in this series to compete is that they got to try to just avoid their bench entirely. And Torrey Craig at least has some experience and some history of slowing down good players. 
why he did not start the other day and Nakogi did. I just don't get that. So if you were making adjustments for tonight's contest, would Craig be back in the starting lineup? He would have never not been in the starting lineup. I mean, I just don't – he had a good series. I guess they thought that Okogi was a better defensive matchup against Murray. Um, uh, and Booker is not going to guard Murray as, as well as Booker. They, he had the, he's the greatest defensive player of all time, if you listen to local television. Uh, he's improved – but, I mean, he's not a defensive stopper. Uh, Chris Paul is an awful on-ball defender. And uh, the Nuggets, their entire starting fives, uh, finished in double digits as far as scoring goes. And I think that's uh, they got to figure out how to keep those dudes out of the paint. And obviously they run tons of screen roll with Murray and, jo- and Jokic. And that was uh, – they actually didn't even do that much as far as the, the screen roll game with those two guys compared to usual because they didn't have to. I assume they just decided that uh, decided we can just save that for the next game when we might need it. You mentioned pick and roll, screen and roll here, but I want to ask it from the Suns' perspective because you had really uh, talked a lot about how impressed you were that Kevin Durant and DeAndre Ayton had some connection going with some different screen and rolls here. And in general, I felt like on Saturday night, the Nuggets' defense really blew up what the Suns were trying to do in the screen and roll game and a couple of uh, early in the first quarter uh, possessions come to mind where they were trying to do some some pick and rolls and Jokic come out enough on the perimeter certainly blew the whole play up. Aiton himself maybe not waiting long enough to to make the screen and setting it hard enough uh, potentially led to why some of these things happened. But did you kind of get the sense that the Nuggets were able to really key in on on what the Suns were trying to do in the pick and roll game? Not at all, to be honest. I mean, I just don't think the Suns, you know, I think their possessions lasted long enough. Their passing, which has been really a strength of this team for three years running since Chris Paul has been here, you know, there weren't uh, the hockey assist type of plays. There were almost none of those. I thought the Suns shuttled, uh, settled for shots way too early in the clock, not necessarily in the first quarter. I mean, I think the first quarter went okay. They were up, they were up 31-30 at that point. Then with uh, several of the you know, bench guys on the floor at the end of the first quarter, and especially at the start of the second, that is when the Nuggets gained control of the game. And, in fact, they gained, they gained control of the game. Jokic wasn't even on the floor uh, when they built the 49-41 lead you know, early in the second quarter after it was 31-30 at the end of the first quarter. Uh, you know, you can't really change your identity at this point in the, the season here. And when you're trading twos for threes, though, that's going to be a problem. So is there any way, and, and you're kind of also talking about it, too, with some hockey assists to get some ball movement and some open looks behind the arc because you can't lose that battle with the Nuggets being plus 14 from three attempts and plus nine in threes made. They're not going to make that many threes every game, you would think. But uh yeah, I just, uh, I just don't, I don't think the Nuggets' defense had anything to do with what the Suns did offensively. I think they just settled for stuff. Booker seemed to be a little more into the I'm going to score against Murray because Murray's doing rather well. Uh, so I just thought it was a disaster all the way around. And the bottom line is that Troy Craig needs to be on the floor, and Akogi shouldn't be, unless he absolutely. I understand he has to play some minutes, but there's no way in hell he should be starting. 
Well, you mentioned, are they going to be able to make as many threes, and they being the Nuggets here, will they be able to get that production again from Aaron Gordon? Uh, 23 points, he was 9 of 13, 3 of 4 from 3, but his career three-point percentage is just 32.5%, so I think that he's probably the guy that the Suns would, uh, I guess, live with him taking those shots and hope that he doesn't keep beating them. That's true, but, you know, he, I assume that those that just you know from the from just watching the Nuggets some over the years and watching plenty of Aaron Gordon, yeah, you know, his three point shooting has really improved. So I wouldn't take any career numbers and try to figure out what's he you know what's up with him as far as three point shooting goes. But I'm sure that's not exactly number one on the option list. But uh, you know the Suns just they, they defensively you know they're not good defensively. It's something that I don't think anybody disagrees with, and I think that's pretty much been the case since they traded uh, Mikhail Bridges and also Cam Johnson. And, uh, you know, while Durant's good on defense, I mean, you know, you could make a case that if Bridges and Johnson and uh, Johnson were still on this team, uh, that uh, they could be no worse than the, suck, the Suns' uh, you know, best and third worst, uh, third best defender in, in their entire roster. But they're just uh, – this is maybe a bad matchup. I didn't – I'm kind of – I'm not totally kicking myself because it's one game in the seven-game series, hopefully a seven-game series. Uh, but, you know, I, I can't imagine that much more could have gone wrong uh, for the Suns in that uh, first game. And you fall behind – you know, you got outscored 37-19 to 19 in the second quarter, and they weren't able to overcome that at any point. That's a 12-minute stretch that they just had no chance to overcome. Yeah, you mentioned here, did this game kind of really put it into perspective that while Kevin Durant had a very good first game, the ball was also in his hands a little bit more often as well. Uh, but it did it really expose that Phoenix, with the addition of Kevin Durant, still needed a, a player like Mikael Bridges or Mikael Bridges and like Cam Johnson or Cam Johnson who can play their two-way basketball and then also knock down shots with spacing on the floor. Well, it helps, but uh, yeah, I don't. I did beg to differ. I don't think Durant played a good first game. I know he had 29 points. He had 15 of those in that first quarter when they had the 31-30 lead, one turn, one assist, and seven turnovers. I don't care who you are. Uh, you got to score like 50. Uh, you got to be like Steph Curry to overcome one assist and seven turnovers. That's really bad. And Durant was. You know, the first to criticize him himself after the game, and he constantly did during his post-game press conference. So with all of this in mind, is there any level of optimism for the Suns heading into tonight's game, too? Because if I'm hearing you, you felt most of it was self-inflicted wounds for the Suns, so they could be correctable. Well, you got to start with the starting lineup. you got to have actually the, the right players on the floor to begin with. You can't be playing this bench for more than exactly the fewest minutes humanly possible. Campaign, he can't be playing. Uh, you, know, I, you know, maybe we should give him a flyer, but I'm sorry, it's the second round of the postseason. You're already down one game. You can't find out if he can play at this point of the season or not. You know, he's coming back from the injury, of course, but it, it can't be an experimental thing. Monty Williams sure sounded like the other night in the post game that we're going to get a whole lot of campaign tonight. If he's not scoring points, as we've mentioned for three years running, if he's not scoring, he doesn't really offer you anything else. Yeah, he's not going to guard anybody. He's not a good passer. Uh, so if, if you basically, I've said the same thing for since the bubble, that uh, you can find out rather quickly if he's going to be a big contributor to you. 
And the only way he contributes to you is if he's scoring. If not, you got to get him off the floor. So we've talked a lot as well about the Denver Nuggets and some of their, uh, I guess, trials and tribulations and falling just a bit short of the expectations that they have for themselves in the playoffs. So when you kind of think about them having the home court advantage, uh, being able to, to come out and make their own set of adjustments, who do you lean in the direction of having the favorability here for what I think for the Suns is kind of a must-win game? You can't be coming back home down 0-2. Do you trust Monty Williams to be able to make the adjustments, the starters to rise to the occasion, or do you trust the Nuggets more to kind of put in the rearview mirror some of their previous playoff, uh, uh, you know, things that have plagued them in the past. Okay, first up, this is a totally different Nuggets team, which I've talked about for at least a couple of weeks. Uh, their bench is so much better than it has been. Obviously, you've got Murray, who's healthy. He hasn't been healthy in the playoffs for three years now since they were actually in the bubble. So that this is a totally different team. Yes, secondly. Uh, as far as the Suns are concerned, you know, they just can't play their bench. Um, you know, you know, I would assume. I also disagree. I don't think this is a complete must-win situation. We just saw a series that a team fell down 0-2 by losing you know, two games on the road to start a series, and they won four of the last five games, including two games on the road as far as the Warriors. So, you know, it's not a must-win. You know, certainly it would be nice if they did win. Uh, but you know, they do have the next two games at home, and there's you know, three days off between tonight and the Friday night game three. So that gives them some time to try to maybe figure out what good, went wrong if they do lose the first two games. But yeah, I would never. I'm 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 not comparing at any point, and uh, I think I kind of changed my mind on this a few weeks ago, quite frankly. But this is a totally different Nuggets scene. I just wish I had not watched. The Nuggets really kind of floundered their way through the last two games of that Minnesota series, or I would actually have financial interest in this, which I don't. And uh, you know, a week ago, you know, I would have definitely been on the Nuggets in the series, but unfortunately for me, uh, I watched the uh, Nuggets play games, you know, four and five of the uh, of the uh, Wolves series, and I don't think very much of the Timberwolves. I think they're a poorly constructed team. The Wolves are kind of like the Chicago White Sox of the NBA. They've got some talent, but you know whoever will put this team together should be out of work. Uh, yeah, I still am head scratching uh, about the Rudy Gobert trade and putting all of those not, pieces together. I actually like the Gobert Gobert part about this, but he just doesn't mix with. The, they don't mix together as a group of five or six players. Ready to bring KDUS AM 1060 into your home with Alexa? Hi, I'm Alexa. Download the KDUS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Let's continue with some NBA conversation and go back to Sunday afternoon with the Warriors topping the Kings 120 to 100 in Game 7. The Kings held the lead at half, but uh, they stopped playing good crisp basketball in the second half. You also had... 
an explosion from Steph Curry, 50 points on 20 of 38. 50 points is the most in NBA history for a Game 7. Also, Kavon Looney continues to be a beast on the boards with 10 offensive rebounds, 11 defensive rebounds, so 21 total rebounds for Kavon Looney to go along with 11 points. Yeah, that's the third time this series he had 20 or more rebounds. That's the first time anybody has done that in any NBA playoff series since Dwight Howard in 2008, and he was a rebounding machine. And I think 2008's year, the Magic went to the finals that particular year. Uh, so that's uh, that certainly played a big role. I think the Warriors taking care of the basketball was huge in this game. They only had seven turnovers. And even during the Warriors championship runs, we've seen uh, some sloppy Warriors uh, you know, turnover numbers or high uh, turnover numbers. And you know, only the seven turnovers yesterday. Curry had the 50 points and one turnover. And the Kings, you know, they went up, want to get up and down, obviously. You know, they led the league in scoring points per game, etc. They had two fast break points in this game. And uh, when you the Warriors not turn it over, no live ball turnovers. And yeah, that's kind of what the Kings feasted upon, really, especially in the first two games of the series that they won in Sacramento. Golden State obviously wins the final two road games in Sacramento, games five and seven. So they win the series. The other thing is that Sabonis, yeah, I'm a big Sabonis fan, obviously, and was uh, you know, begging the Suns to pick him weeks before they actually had the draft that year. He's had a bad postseason history. I used to just blame this on the Indiana Pacers. Uh, now I don't know if we can do that. In fact, we can't blame the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Sabonis, he was good in the first half. Mm-hmm. He was missing in action in the second half. Uh, he had six rebound, six points total during the second half, and that's when the game was decided. Yeah, He was uh, responsible for blocking out Looney a lot of those times, as pointed out by Jeff Van Gundy. Uh, which is 100% accurate. He was the guy, and he got he got destroyed in this series. And you know the fact that the Warriors are so good in the third quarter. Many of these championship runs, they've had game-changing third quarters and decisive games. This was the ultimate decisive game, unless it's like a game seven of a series, first round of a series, but. You know, they outscored the Kings uh, 35-23 in that third quarter, and the game was pretty much over at that point. Would you agree with this assessment that uh, this kind of came down to experience versus inexperience in the second half? Oh, I would say for the whole series. I mean, the Kings had you know, some opportunities to put this series away, and then, you know, I don't know what happened on what game, what, what night was that? Friday night they played game six. Uh, yes. the, the Warriors just didn't show up at home. I have no idea how to explain that, but uh, you know that I also just don't think the Kings were that good uh, during they weren't they weren't you know I'd be stunned if they won the Pacific Division next year like they did this year. You know you've got the, you know the Suns are I assume going to have a better roster from start to finish of the season than what we saw this year. The Clippers, who knows? But you know they obviously have had injury issues. And then, needless to say, the Lakers uh, right now is currently constructed. The Lakers are probably the best team in the, in the Pacific Division, depending on whether you think they're going to beat the Warriors or not. 
Well, we can't leave this conversation without talking about Steph Curry. So the 50-point performance, does this at all change in your mind his place in the NBA game uh, for him to be able to put the team on his back like this, 50 points after his Game 7 performance, and just kind of uh, overall maybe that we have undervalued how good he has been and overall how he has changed uh, that it's fine to pull up from so far away to, to shoot a three not me i mean i can't imagine there's too many people that have talked him up more than i have uh you know wasn't uh you know i was stunned uh that he was as good as he was immediately when he came out of davidson i was a a skeptic of whether he was going to be able to step up to the next level uh and so forth but now i caught on pretty fast and uh like i said i can't imagine there's too many people that have talked up steph curry more than i have in uh the last you know few years i I didn't take like i said didn't take me a whole lot to change my mind and, and admit that i was wrong about him coming out of college well, we'll get into a little bit more about the contest with the Lakers and the Warriors. We'll also talk about the Heat and the Knicks for game one on the other side of the break. But it's your turn if you'd like to join the program, 602-260-1060. We'll talk Suns. We'll talk NBA playoffs. We'll talk NFL draft. 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll also get into, as I said, Heat's. Heat and Knicks. Uh, the Knicks didn't have Julius Randle. The Heat, Jimmy Butler. We'll have to find out what's going on with that rolled ankle ahead of game two. And then the 76ers and the Celtics get uh, game one in the East underway today as well. All of that is still coming up right here on KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you on this Monday, May 1st. Your caddy, Ray Adams, takes you beyond the 18th hole on Saturday mornings with Great American Golf from 6 to 7 a.m. on KDUS AM 1060. here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Around the NBA from yesterday, you had the Heat topping the Knicks 108 to 101. Uh, You had the Heat trailing by five at half. And then they put together a 31-point third quarter and held the Knicks to just 20 points in that third quarter. Julius Randle was sidelined for the Knicks with an ankle injury. He had Jalen Brunson, 11 of 23, 0 of 7 from 3 for 25 points. R.J. Barrett, 10 of 20, 1 of 5 from 3 for 26 points. And then you had the Heat, Jimmy Butler. At this point, 25 points almost feels like pedestrian for what he's been able to accomplish in these playoffs here so far. But... I don't mean to diminish what he did. 25 points, 8 of 16. Butler did roll his ankle. He stayed in for five minutes. Somehow, I know you're not a huge fan of plus minus, but somehow he was plus seven with that terrible ankle in that contest. The Knicks never really found a way to like go at him and force him to be in some precarious defensive situations. Uh, not sure how he will be ready to go for game two or what his particular status is. But when you looked at it, the Heat, 13 of 39 from three, the Knicks, 7 of 34 from three. 
Well, this whole game came down to the second half. Uh, the Knicks were outscored the second half. They only had 46 points in the second half. They gave up 58. So, you know, it was, uh, you know, they just completely dominated the, uh, really the third quarter is 31 to 20. You know, Butler, after he was injured, uh, they, it was 95-92 when he went down. And uh, they pretty much, he was a decoy the rest of the, se- rest of the game. Uh, they ran the offense through Kyle Lowry and also Bam Adebayo. To me, also, the biggest stat in this game is that you know, 13 turnovers is not outrageous. It's not good. Uh, but the Knicks had 13 turnovers. But the Heat got 22 points off of those 13 turnovers. And that's uh, I think that was the, the biggest statistical you know, thing that stood out to me in this game. Uh, is it surprising here that the Heat were able to go on the road into New York and, and pick up a game one? Not really. Um, you know, they had the best player on the floor uh, before, you know, before Butler got hurt. And, you know, the Knicks actually, you know, they ran double teams at him rather right off the bat. So it wasn't like, uh, you, know, not, you know, Milwaukee did not do that as often as obviously that should have. And uh, there's just – Monty Williams is one of these guys. There's lots of coaches in this league that hate the double team and it's more of a last resort type of thing as opposed to maybe they should do this earlier in games. I mean, you know, like the first or second possession of the game, uh, you know, Thibodeau was basically using uh, the double-team strategy to get the ball out of Butler's hands some. He still scored a bunch of points and, you know, was, uh, you know, kind of a non-factor after the injury. That was, you know, as I mentioned, 95-92. I was in, you know, five, six minutes to go into the, in the fourth quarter. Uh, so we'll see what happens. A lot of people suggesting that Butler shouldn't play in game two so we'll see how that goes also remember the heat they don't have hero for the rest of at least this series and then obviously old depot's out for the rest of the season and the start of the next season yeah jalen rose immediately said just send him back to miami and uh get him ready for game three uh right now the line seems to indicate that uh they don't think jimmy butler is going to play at least as of this morning it was heat plus seven Knicks minus seven for that contest on tuesday when it comes- yeah, that game opened like five and a half or so. So, you know, I think a lot of people also, you know, the uh, this zigzag theory, which used to be a big deal in the NBA playoffs many years ago, and, and uh, that, that actually dissolved a long time ago. That has not been an effective way to handicap NBA playoff games for at least a couple of decades. But some people still use that theory. Uh, the 76ers and the Celtics, they get the series underway today, 4.30 p.m. Uh, the 76ers plus 10, Celtics minus 10. Joel Embiid officially listed as doubtful for tonight. Uh, when you look at what the 76ers were able to do from behind the arc, they shot 38.7% from three in the regular season. They upped it to 40.6% in round one of their sweep versus Brooklyn. However, in the four matchups this season with the the Celtics you had the Celtics uh winning three out of the four games you also had the percentages from three the Celtics shooting 41.1 percent from three and held the 76ers to 35.6 percent from three okay um those are great numbers uh, I could care less what happens in any NBA regular season game I don't even know who played in those games I'm guessing considering the rosters of both these teams and they uh, tend not to play everybody in every game. I'm guessing it is rarely full strength against full strength. As far as today goes, um, you know, Embiid was actually at the shoot around this morning. 
the media was also kicked out after the first few minutes of the shoot-around, so we have no idea what's going to happen. He was just basically just putting up a few shots, but having been to some NBA shoot-arounds, that's pretty much all that happens in the first few minutes. Anyway, if uh, maybe they, they didn't, you know, there's NBA shoot-arounds where that's pretty much all that happens the entire time, even if you're there from start to finish. But uh, we'll see if he plays. Then, uh, as I mentioned during the sports, um, I don't know if I quite get this in depth here, but you know the Clippers and the Sixers are the two teams in the NBA that I pay zero attention to any injury information because it's either misleading, they just don't want to tell you anything, or they just flat lie to you. So good luck to you all out there if you're going to try to figure out what's going on here. Uh, then you have the Lakers and the Warriors. This matchup on Tuesday, 7 p.m. Uh, this morning, it was Lakers plus five, Warriors minus five. The Lakers absolutely crushed the Grizzlies 125 to 85 to be able to get to this point. A bit of rest now for L.A. as uh, Golden State played on Sunday, obviously, here. So you have to think that Anthony Davis, LeBron have matchup advantages. But can anyone on the Lakers slow down Steph Curry? Uh, probably not. I mean, if, uh, you know, making, you know, obviously uh, people have been trying to figure out how to slow down Steph Curry for a decade. So that hasn't worked out particularly well for the most part. Uh, also these teams played their regular season games. You know, basically as these teams are currently constructed, none of the regular season games basically have anything to do with anything, quite frankly. Uh, you know, you know pre-trade deadline, post-trade deadline, you had a bunch of dudes out for both teams. They went through this in NBA TV last night in the post game of the Sacramento Warriors game, and you know they basically had a little graphic of you know, who played and who didn't play. And there wasn't one game that they showed. I assume this is all accurate because I didn't double check this. That there wasn't one game played between these teams in the regular season where all the key parties that are expected to play in this series were playing in those regular season games. Not one time. For the Warriors, I do have a question. Where's Jordan Poole been? I know he's been on the court, but where's he been? Well, I think that's kind of Jordan Poole. Um, you know, to me, he's been kind of a hit and miss proposition throughout much of his career. Uh, there's a they're spectacular or you know, kind of MIA, and there's not much in between. So, you know, to their credit, uh, they didn't need him too much in this game, this series against Sacramento, and. I'm guessing that his, I don't remember him playing a ton of minutes. I don't have that, uh, pardon me, I don't have the statistical information to back this up, but it just seemed like he wasn't out there a whole lot. So I guess with that in mind here, who would you give the bench advantage to in this particular matchup? Um, Don't know. Um, Starting five advantage, I'm giving to Golden State. Uh, So uh, I'm... I have nobody. I've not thought about this series for three seconds, quite frankly. I'm going to do that this afternoon before we preview the series tomorrow during the sports zone. But there is no chance I'm taking the Lakers to win the series. It's either Golden State or nobody for me. Uh, we will step aside and we'll come back and wrap up our number one. We'll get into a little bit about the Mexico Open. We'll also get into the uh, three-game series that the Diamondbacks took two of three over the Rockies and also the injury uh, – 
concern that we'll be monitoring for the Arizona Diamondbacks with Corbin Carroll. So we'll get into a little bit about golf and baseball on the other side of the break as we wrap up our number one of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's Monday. It's May 1st. Back after this. Tune in weekdays to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp from 9 to 10 a.m. on KTUS AM 1060, KTUS1060.com, and with the KTUS 1060 app. KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Once again, the top of the board strikes on the PGA Tour at the Mexico Championship at Vedante. This time it was Tony Finau at 24 under par for the week. He was the second best odds to win heading into the week. And in second place, it was John Rahm at 21 under par. He was the odds on favorite heading in to the tournament. He shot out third round 61 to put himself right into contention there. But uh, interestingly enough, so this is Tony Finau's sixth career PGA Tour win, but last se- season here, John Rahm won, Tony Finau finished second. This year, Tony Finau wins, and John Rahm finishes second. When it comes to our guys, Patrick Rogers and Nate Lashley, they cashed for us. Our long shot, Augusta Nunez, did not. So overall, for it being uh, such an interesting field with it being so top-heavy at the top and trying to find uh, some different guys and places to pivot to, successful week for the Mexico championship. The PGA tour will turn its attention this week to the Wells Fargo championship at Quail hollow. It is a designated event, uh, but it will be missing a few names that uh, typically would be invited to these designated events. Hideki Matsuyama won't play. Uh, He's returned to Japan actually for continued neck treatment. His neck has certainly been bothering him and you can, see it multiple times visibly uh he's withdrawn from some events as well and it doesn't look like it's getting a whole lot better so he's actually gone back to japan for some neck treatment on that scotty scheffler and john rom will not be playing this week uh we have to keep in mind when we are figuring out what to do for this event there's plenty of quail hollow history but last year this event was not contested at quail hollow because they were in preparation for the president's cup which was played here in september so you can certainly look at some president's cup statistics if you would like even though it is a a team event so we'll dive into much more of that on the pga tour in wednesday's show when it comes to the diamondbacks bob uh they took two of three over the rockies in friday's contest they won nine to one merrill kelly six innings pitch six hits one run one walk five strikeouts certainly you were keeping an eye on merrill kelly and his start the one walk is the key. Uh, he was he had the fourth most walks in baseball entering that game on uh, on Friday night. So you know one walk is important for him, no matter where he's pitching, let alone in Colorado. 
Uh, so that went well. Unfortunately for the Diamondbacks, um, I can't imagine that they're going to be a playoff team if Tommy Henry and Ryan Nelson remain in the rotation. Uh, Henry got by on Saturday. He was average at best, and I'm factoring in the Coors Field thing here. Average at best at Coors Field. He gave up four earned runs, seven hits, and a walk in five and a third innings. Ryan Nelson was awful yesterday. Uh, gave up uh, six runs on nine hits, uh, walked one, only one strikeout in four innings. Unfortunately, to me at least, there's just not enough swing and miss, or there's hardly any swing and miss with Henry and Nelson. And this uh, even, you know, the game has changed certainly this year for a lot of reasons. But if you don't get some swing and miss, you got to be an incredible location pitcher. You can't walk guys. There's no margin for error. And uh, the Diamondbacks uh, right now definitely have one tremendous starting pitcher in Zach Gallen, and he'll pitch tomorrow night when they throw a game. When they they don't, they don't play today, but uh, he's pitching tomorrow night at Texas, and Texas a very good team so far this year. Unfortunately, now injured uh, you know, with Jacob Degrom going down for God knows how long. So we'll see what's up with the Rangers, but you know they've been uh, they're off to a good start. And when they have a healthy team, and you know Seager's been out for several weeks and isn't going to play this week either, uh, they really haven't been you know healthy from pretty much start to finish, and they're still off to a nice start as far as wins and losses go. Yeah, they are, and they're they're leading their division as well. Uh... Don't hold your breath on that. The Astros have kind of figured it out here lately. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but as you mentioned, Diamondbacks off today. That series gets started tomorrow. Something to continue to monitor, though, would be Corbin Carroll as he injured his knee in Saturday's game, didn't play in Sunday's contest. Steve Gilbert of MLB.com reporting that he'll have an MRI on his knee today. The team, though, doesn't think it's super serious, but they are opting for further testing to confirm everything that's going on. Yeah, they didn't put him on the injured list uh you know, the one thing that also, uh, you know, I know Jake McCarthy got sent down to AAA last week, and while I was kind of uh, uh, not a uh, complete believer in Jake McCarthy last year, you know, he was uh, you know, a surprise offensively. He's a really good defender, and uh, without Carroll and, uh, you know, Paven Smith cannot be playing the outfield. He had a terrible game yesterday, misplayed three balls in right field, but he just not to get out. He's a first you – know, you draft as a first baseman. Uh, so you know, with the outfielders that we have in this division, obviously you know, it's really tough to cover all the ground in Colorado, no matter who you are. You also have here, for that matter, a big outfield. You have a huge outfield in San Diego and an even bigger outfield in San Francisco. Dodger Stadium is actually the easiest place to play outfield in, in, the, in the NL West. But if you've got all this ground to cover – I can't imagine there's a division that has more outfield ground to cover than the NL West, and you, you've got to figure out what to do there. And if, even if McCarthy is struggling at the plate, maybe he needs to come back. Uh, when you look at games that are taking place today, there's actually not a whole lot of action, but uh, you do have the attempted double header for the Braves and the Mets, and it's uh, currently going on heading into the top of the third, and the Braves are already on top 6-1, to one, and Strider's on the mound for the Braves. Yeah, and the Mets are already in their second pitcher. They give up three runs in the first, three runs in the second. I think they've given up at least three home runs so far. That is correct. Uh, they obviously... They obviously didn't play at all over the weekend because of the weather. 
So they're trying to play a doubleheader today, and they they, they showed just a few minutes ago the uh, clouds and the dark clouds behind the center field scoreboard. <laughs> so hopefully they can make it through this. The good news is obviously they're division opponents, so you know if they have to you know, make up a you know they've got plenty of uh, time, they've got plenty of series against each other, albeit not as many as they used to uh, with the new schedule this year. But uh, you know it's a series that I think most of us were looking forward to over the weekend, and we didn't get to see any games because they got rained out three straight days. Uh, then you also have the Guardians and the Yankees today. Uh, Cal Contrell for the Guardians up against Domingo Herman for the Yankees, and the Yankees have got to get something turned around here. Well, they're not going to uh, for a while, and if Judge goes on the injured list, which could happen today, they've already lost Stanton. We've gone through all their starting pitching injuries. I believe it was last Thursday or Friday I mentioned they had 11 guys on the injured list already. And it uh, looks like Judge might be the latest to go on today. And uh, I guess I should go back here for just a second. The Game 2 doubleheader for the Braves in the Mest, if that's able to be contested as scheduled, it would be Charlie Morton against Tyler Megill for the Mets. So that would be the potential uh, Game 2 matchup for the Braves in the Mets later on today. That'll conclude hour number one. Hour number two coming up on the other side of the break. We'll dive into the Arizona Cardinals and their draft selections. Go through uh, what our lads has to say about each of those selections and uh, get our feedback as well. Your calls around 1115 if you'd like to join the program, 602-260-1060. But hour number two of Extra Point is coming up on the other side of the break. (laughs) 